Well, we'll be looking at the excellent word part six, again, going through Psalm 119, verses 137 through 176. And, and I wanted to offer you a few things kind of by way of introduction. And, and one of them is the, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, the question is asked, so the way catechism is, you know, you, you ask a question and there's a, there's a set response. And so the question is asked, you know, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is the chief end of man is to, glor- to, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And I think that's a pretty awesome thing that that's really what God has called us to. That's what God's created us to. And so, so I, I ask that you would track with me today. Because there are a lot of different voices in this world, a lot of different voices in our own hearts and minds about what's our purpose. You know, why are we here and what are we doing? And really my purpose is to make money or my purpose is to have retirement fund or my purpose is this. And and all of those things maybe God has called you to as a secondary or tertiary type of thing. But your primary goal in life, why you were created, is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's, that's your purpose. So whatever else you do, if you seek to glorify him and enjoy him forever, that you realize that's your primary goal, that's your, your telos, your end goal, then all those other things will start to fall into place. But, but what the Lord's been really working on my heart and revealing some things to me, and, and really he's shown me that this is impossible, that goal is impossible apart from surrender. Unless we are surrendered to God, and it's something that's, that if you're familiar with war, people who kind of study war, study history, they heard of something called unconditional surrender. You see, there are some surrenders where two armies are going against each other and the one army still kind of, like they basically, let's have a conditional surrender because you know, we're just try, tired of losing troops. But, but if there's one army who's far superior to the others, they demand an unconditional surrender. They say, you're gonna surrender to me and there's not gonna be any terms. <laughs> You're just going to surrender. And I would argue that's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to unconditional surrender. Here's the problem, though. Each one of us, if you're a believer here today, you and I have surrendered somewhat. Right? There are certain areas of our lives, absolutely, we've surrendered to Christ. But no believer has unconditionally surrendered. Each one of us have things we're holding on to. We're holding on to bitterness, or we're holding on to fear, or we're holding on to anxiety, we're holding on to this, that, and the other. And I believe what God's calling us to is to an unconditional surrender. To surrender to the person and work of the Holy Spirit as he seeks to give us that turn-by-turn navigation in our life. That's what he's calling to. But but here's the beautiful thing, because we as fallen human beings think, well, if I unconditionally surrender, there's going to be nothing left for me, and life is going to get worse, and I'm not going to get to do what I want. But just the opposite is true. That as we unconditionally surrender to Christ and to the power of the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen is we're actually going to start living the life he's called us to live. We're going to start walking more and more in what he says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that these good works that have been prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. So the unconditionally surrendered life, the surrendered life is actually the abundant life. It's the fruitful life. Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And he didn't say, because I'm going to make you absolutely miserable. He says, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. He who is, decides to be a shepherd surrenders to me as shepherd. So we're the sheep, he's the shepherd. Then he says, they'll go in and out and find pasture. So we're deceiving ourselves when we refuse to surrender. That's what God's calling us to. So this is what the Lord spoke to me out of this passage. And so I want to give you one, one other verse before we get into the heart of our message. And it's Psalm 37 verse 5. Psalm 37 verse 5 says this, commit your way to the Lord, 
Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You know, this idea of committing your way to the Lord is surrendering your way to the Lord, surrendering your walk to the Lord, surrendering your hopes and dreams and ambitions and desires all to the Lord, trusting in him, and then what's gonna happen? He's gonna bring it to pass. What is he gonna bring to pass? He's gonna bring your surrendered way to, to pass. So when you say, when I say, Lord, I'm just tired of wanting to have my own way. I'm tired of, spiritually speaking, throwing, throwing a tantrum. So instead, how about you just have your way? How about you just, whatever you want to do in my life, no matter what it looks like, would you do that? He says, I can bring that to pass. Now, it's funny, the verse that I, I thought I, I was gonna use as an intro was the, the verse right before it that says, delight also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart which ties into it, but it all, as I look through that passage, so you can go back to Psalm 37 later and look through it all, but look at, look at all the surrender. Start reading the Bible with, with just, look at it through the lens of surrender, and you're gonna see it's everywhere, but understand that surrender allows you to live the life that God's called you to live. So with this in mind, let's jump now into Psalm 119, okay? And, and now I've come to believe, as, as this Psalm is all about the word, well, loving the word, serving the word is about surrender. Why? Because it's saying whatever God says, that's what I'll do, right? Instead of, instead of doing things my way, I want to do things the Lord's way. So let's jump into our first section. That's 137 through 144, and we'll look at verses 137 and 138. It says, righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful, Okay, so I want to look at some of these words here. The first word I want to look at is righteous. That word righteous means just or lawful. The word upright means straight or correct. The word judgments means decisions. The word faithful means firmness or steadfastness. Now we put all this together, what is it simply saying? That God's always right. God is always right. He always does the right thing. And this is important because as we look at our lives, our life or some area of our life, some section of our life, some relationship in our life may be spinning out of control. And we say, well, I mean, I guess that one got away from God. I, I guess he's just kind of, you know, I, you know, God's got a lot on his plate and I just don't know if he can get, no, 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 he's doing it. God is still doing the right thing in the midst of that chaos. A verse I've shared with you before, I'll share with you again, is Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He shall. He shall do right. I would encourage you to, to submit that verse into your minds, that God's always going to do the right thing. But you know, our circumstances, our situations are such that, that oftentimes we're looking at things how they are right now, not realizing what God has planned. I've shared it before, I'll share it again, but it's really been on my heart lately, the story of Joseph. You know, and, and Jacob is in a situation and Jacob says, you know, Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, you want to take Benjamin, all these things are against me. And what happened is, is Jacob was 0% correct. <laughs> He was wrong on every count. Joseph was just fine, second in charge of Egypt. Simeon was just fine. Benjamin was gonna be just fine. And actually, all these things were working out. So Jacob could not only go to Joseph, to Joseph in Egypt and have a safe place to live, but he was not only gonna see Joseph, he was actually gonna see Joseph's, grand, Joseph's kids. He was gonna get to see his grandkids through Joseph. So it's important for us to understand and to set in our hearts this surrendered attitude of God's always right. 
to not judge life by what happens today. To not judge life by what you read in the newspaper or what you see online. Don't forget Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. It says, trust in the Lord. Again, trust is a surrender word, right? I'm surrendering, I'm believing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll, he shall direct your paths. You know, it, it says in the, in the Proverbs that a, a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? We can't understand the pieces that God is putting together. I mean, be honest. Think about where you are today, where you are, and think about, you, you know, your, yourself 20 years ago. Some of you are so young of like, there was no me 20 years ago. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations. You're young. All right. So, but think about yourself 20 years ago. Could you have imagined all that's happened in those 20 years? You, you, you couldn't have set that up. You couldn't have put those pieces together. That wasn't what you were expecting. But, but God's doing something through all of this. Let's look at Psalm 139. I'm sorry, Psalm 139, verse 139. It says, my zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. And so the psalmist, is, he's, he's fired up because people aren't obeying. And so this is an important lesson for us. The unbelief of those around us should only increase our commitment to the Lord. That's what he's saying here. The more that people don't believe around me, that fires me up to say, well, I'm gonna keep believing. So the, the, the fact that people aren't believing around us, it should heat us up, not cool us off. It, it should say, well, I'm gonna redouble my efforts because if, if I'm gonna be in this situation and, and the people that say at my work or the people at my school, they're not believing, well, they need to have a light. So it's important that I get as close to the Lord as possible to be that light. You and I don't help unbelievers by becoming like unbelievers. We need to be different. Jesus wouldn't have helped people if he said, well, I'm just gonna be a sinner like everybody else. No, Jesus helped people by being different. And so there's gonna be a place for this zealousness. Now, to, to look at this in the life of the Lord Jesus, would you turn to John chapter two for just a moment? A, a favorite passage of men because Jesus flipped some tables. So let's go to John chapter two for just a moment. I wanna look at verses 13 through 17. And so here we see this zealousness of the Lord. John 2, starting in verse 13, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And so, so, so just stop there for a second. So he comes to the temple to go worship his father, and instead he finds it, and it's worse than a mall. Okay, and, and it's worse than any of those things because basically what they're doing is they're selling stuff in such a way that, that you can't go worship God unless you buy their stuff. Okay, so this is not like, well, there's, you know, I went to a church once and they had a church bookstore. I better go knock those things down. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is they're making a boundary between worship of God and the people because you have to buy their stuff. That's what's going on. So Jesus isn't having it. And, and so, so, May, there's, there's some disagreement. I believe that Jesus cleansed the temple twice. I believe that this is the cleansing at the beginning of his ministry and that he did it again at the end of his ministry. But I, I want you to see the, uh, how methodical Jesus is here in verse 15. And when he had made a whip of cords. <laughs> so Jesus is standing there making a whip of cords. 
He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, here it is, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the zealousness. Now, here's an important distinction I want to make before you go out and start knocking stuff down. Okay? Jesus is fully God. He's truly God. So that's his house. Right? His father's house is his house. So he has every right to knock things down because it belongs to him. Okay? So I'm not saying go around destroying people's property. That doesn't belong to you. The point I wanted to make is there's all this mess around him that didn't cause him to cool off. It heated him up. Okay? So I'm saying for us, we need to be zealous for the Lord. And a godly zealousness that comes and says, I'm not going to be like those around me because I love those around me. I love those people who are cold. I love those people who are lost. And I won't do them any good if I I become like them. The only way that I can do them good is if I'm different. If I'm seeking Lord, I'm surrendering to the Lord. And then, you know what? The Lord's going to use me um, in, in some way. Maybe I don't understand exactly how. But he's not going to be able to use me if I'm cold. Okay? So that's an important point here. All right, let's go back now, if you would, to Psalm 119, verse 140. It says, your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. That word pure is a beautiful word. It, means, it literally means to be refined or tried or tested. So it's this idea of a metal that has been refined and all purities, impurities have been removed. It's completely pure. So the word of God, please understand, has been tried and tested and been found to be true. We can love the word of God because it's absolutely trustworthy. It's absolutely pure. It's been well said that the, the word of God is the anvil that has broken many hammers. You know, there have been many people who have set out, like, I'm going to destroy the word of God. I'm going to, you know, we're going to burn all the copies of the word of God. We're going to prove that the word of God is false. And yet the word of God remains It still stands. And so please understand too that the reason why the word of God is trustworthy is because the God of the word is trustworthy. The word of God is trustworthy because the God of the word is trustworthy. The Holy Spirit who inspired the word of God is trustworthy. It says the Holy Spirit searches the mind of God. The the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. He's inspired the authors of scripture to write down what God wants written down. And so we can trust it. We can build our lives upon it. Verse 141 says, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. That word small is what you would think it is. It, it means little. It means insignificant. The word despised means to be held in contempt. So he says, I'm little, I'm insignificant, and people hold me in contempt. And, and so here's a lesson for us. You can be someone who's wholeheartedly devoted to God. You know, you're surrendering daily to the word of God. You're, you're surrendering to the Holy Spirit. You're asking the Father to manifest himself in your life. You're all of those things, and yet still in the world's eyes, you can be small and despised. It's important. Following God is not a ticket to worldly greatness. Following God is a ticket to heavenly greatness. It's a, it's a ticket to true significance, But we have to understand that we may be insignificant and despised by the world, but we can keep obeying the word of God. 
you and I, you know, as you get older and, and your body doesn't work as well as it used to, and maybe, you know, you're not remembering names like you used to, those kind of things can happen, right? Those things happen as we get older, and we may, in those eyes of the world, begin to be small and despised, but you know what we can keep doing? We can keep obeying the word of God. We can keep pleasing God. And so we have to remind ourselves that actually greatness comes through humble obedience. Jesus says, you guys want to be great? You guys want to be first? Awesome. Be last. You want to be exalted by me? Then humble yourself. You, you want to be somebody who's, who, who I can just really appreciate and use? Then take the humble seat. So he actually tells us wanting to be great is not a bad thing. He just says, in whose eyes do you want to be great? You want to be great in the eyes of the world? Or are you going to be great in my eyes? Don't be great in the eyes of the world because the world is constantly changing. No matter how famous a person is, time passes by, you know, the, the, the tastes change, and that person's not famous anymore. If you dedicate yourself to surrendering to God and to his word, you're going to be great for all time. You're going to be one of the all-time greats. Verses 142 through 144 says, your righteousness is an ever, everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. Okay, so what I take from this is that God's word is always true, and it will always remain true. God's word is true, and it will always remain true. You know, when, when my kids were little, we used to go to Friends of the Library on Saturdays, and it's, it's a used bookstore here in town. And what's funny is, you know, they had different sales, but sometimes they would just give books away. And I remember they have like this old shopping cart out front with all these books they just wanted to give away. And in there were a bunch of textbooks from the 60s. And I just, I, just, I just thought that was interesting because when those textbooks from the 60s, and there were some science textbooks in there, and people just said in the 60s, ah, this is, this is truth, this is truth. And then what happens is they, they change their minds a little bit later. And they say, oh, this is truth, this is truth, and, and a little bit later. And this is truth, this is truth. I remember Pastor Chuck Smith talking about this, this tendency. And Pastor Chuck says, you know, when I was growing up, you know, they told me the universe was one billion years old. And now that I'm adult, they tell me that the universe is five billion years old. And he said, I'm not that old. <laughs> and, and so this is, this is how it is with the world. You know, it's always constantly changing. You have in your hands or on your devices a truth that doesn't change. Truth that's not, oh, it's going to be this and, oh, but this new thing. And no, 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 it just remains true. It remains true. And, and so as we look at this, God's word always remains true, but as we see in these verses here, 142 through 144, believers are not exempted from trouble. And I, I don't think it's too much for me to repeat that weekly. It's not too much for us actually to repeat to ourselves daily that as we go out into this world, it says, Lord, I'm, I'm here to serve you. I wanna walk with you today. I know that that doesn't exempt me from trouble. I know that that doesn't exempt me from hardship. But what happens, the word of God remains our delight when trouble comes. Why does it remain our delight? Because it remains steadfast. It remains true. It remains good. And so in the midst of trouble, we can say, well, this thing is breaking my heart right now, but this is not for always. This is for a season. This is, this is the, the passing difficulties of this world, but ultimately, I know that something better is coming. All right, let's move into our next section 
verses 145 through 152. We're going to take this all at one shot here. It says, I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word, my eyes are awake through the night watches, that I meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord, revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness, they are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and your commandments are truth. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. Okay. So a couple of things I, I take from this whole section, kind of this, this idea. Number one is stay faithful in the midst of suffering. Stay faithful in the midst of suffering. I think it's very instructive. The Apostle Paul, you know, I think we would rightly say he's one of the heroes of the faith. The Apostle Paul is a guy that we would seek to imitate and walk after. The Lord sent a message through a guy by the name of Ananias who was going to lay hands on Paul and, and kind of bring him into Christian fellowship, bring him into the ministry. And, and the, the Lord Jesus gave a message to, the, to Ananias, says, hey, go tell him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And that was super helpful for the Apostle Paul because few people in the Christian life have suffered like the Apostle Paul. But you know what happened? The Lord didn't lie to him. He told him early, <laughs> here's the deal. Your, your ministry is going to be awesome, but it's going to be awesomely hard. Okay, it's going to be super difficult. And so that knowledge, that understanding allowed the Apostle Paul to remain faithful because he's like, oh yeah, this is what God told me was going to happen. This is what he said was going to happen. So it's important for us to stay faithful in the midst of suffering, realizing God doesn't want us to be soft Christians. God wants us to be soldiers. God wants us to be runners. God wants us to be people who have been through some things. God's not interested in, in your spiritual armor being pristine when you get to heaven. <laughs> you get to heaven and you get to see your spiritual armor and just like, wow, not, not a mark on it. <laughs> no, it needs to look well-worn. It needs to look used. He's going to engage us in battles. And so stay faithful in this suffering. Second thing I see from these verses is cry out to God and study his word. Okay, this psalmist you know, he loves the Lord, but he's not like, you know what, Lord, I got this, and you know, I know I'm suffering, but it's, it's easy, and it's, it's, no, he's crying out. He's upset. He's frustrated. All of those things, that's part of being a fallen human being. That's part of being where we are right now. We don't have our resurrected bodies yet. We're not glorified yet. We're not in the presence of the fullness of God just yet. That day is coming, but it's not yet, so we're going to cry out to God. So cry out to him, and then study his word. Cry out to him for help and keep reading what he has to say. Cry out to him and ask him to fulfill the promises that he said in his word. That's, what God, that, that's how relationship is built with the Lord. All right, let's go to our next section. Let's look at verses 153 and 154. It says, Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me, revive me according to your word. Okay. So again, we have this, this constant refrain of trouble and that believers, as believers, we will need deliverance from trouble. Okay, the trouble that we get into in life because you know, trouble comes for being a believer or you know, because our bodies are breaking down or whatever the case may be, we're gonna need help. We're gonna need deliverance. This is a fallen and hostile world. The Apostle Paul said this to believers in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. He says, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. 
We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And, and so a great example and a good reminder would be to, you know, go back and read the Gospels and look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The ministry of the Lord Jesus was difficult. Everywhere he went, people were mocking him. People were saying he was demon-possessed. People were saying he's a drunk. People were actively trying to push him off of cliffs, trying to stone him, do you know, character assassinations. Then they were actually trying to assassinate him, and then they finally did. So you look at that ministry, and you say, huh, if we go against the systems of this world, if we actively fight in the power of the Spirit against Satan and his forces, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be hardship. But, you know, but that's a life worth living. That, that's, a, that's a life worth living of saying, I want to walk out what God's called me to walk out. I want to do that thing. So, so understand that. We're going to need deliverance, but the Lord is able to bring it. Right? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. 150, all right, verse 155 says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. So it's an interesting verse if people refuse to listen to God, then how can they know the way of salvation? <laughs> right? That's, that's what we have here. So salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. So they cut themselves off from salvation because they refuse to hear what God has to say. And so it's important for us to keep on, to be faithful and say, you know what? As God provides me opportunity, I'm going to keep sharing the truth of the gospel with those who don't believe. I'm going to pray for open doors. I'm going to do it in a winsome way. But I do want people to, to be saved. And so I know that the word of God has to, to be what, what brings them. All right, verses 156 through 159 says, Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. I see the treacherous and I'm disgusted because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. Okay, so what I take from these verses here is that focusing on the disobedient brings distraction. Okay, and, and that's, you know, let's be honest. The most popular people in human history are the disobedient. That, that's how it is. That's how it is right now. The, 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 the most well-known are the disobedient. And it's very easy for us to be distracted by the disobedient. It's easy for us to say, well, look at how much better their life is than my life, and how come I don't have the things that they have, you know, and so we can go that route. Or look at all the bad they're doing, and I can't believe all that bad, and why would somebody stop them, and all this kind of stuff. And we, but but we're, either way, it's a distraction. We're just constantly distracted by the disobedient. So instead of being distracted by the disobedient, let's just focus on the word of God. Let's focus on the word of God because what does it say here in these verses? It revives us. The word of God revives us. Revive me according to, it says, verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. And so as we go to the word of God and says, I don't want to be distracted by the disobedient. I want to actually have a message to share with the disobedient. How am I going to have a message to share with the disobedient if I'm not hearing from the Lord? So let me just hear from the Lord. Let, let me be revived. Let, me, let the Lord give me life. Let me surrender to the Holy Spirit's working in my life and let him just bring those, those rivers of living water out of my heart. Let me do that. And what's gonna happen, I, I bet we're gonna find a lot of refreshment because a lot of our, our downcastness of heart, I believe, is because we focus on what the disobedient are doing. And you can depress yourself 
very quickly if you just want to kind of dig down into all the, the grossness that's happening in this world very easily. But I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where God says, hey, study all the things that the wicked are doing and really just become an expert on wickedness. It's, it's been well said. You don't have to get into the sewer to know it, know it stinks. Right? We don't have to get down there. But we do have exhortation after exhortation after exhortation to study the word of God. To make it our meditation day and night. And that's going to bring refreshment. Verse 160 says, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So trust the entirety of the word of God. Because here's the thing, even in Christian circles, that's it's a challenge. As we read the word of God, and the parts we agree with, yeah, all right, right on, Lord. And the parts that we read that we disagree with, eh, probably not inspired that part, all right? That, that's our attitude. So instead, let's seek to understand the word of God in context, surrender ourselves to it, submit ourselves to it. The parts that we don't know why it's in there or kind of like exactly how it works out to just say, hey, I believe that it's true. I don't know exactly how that works. I don't understand it. But guess what? This is an infinite God who wrote it. I'm not infinite. And so that humility, God will use. I want to remind you of what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you and I are people who are just, you know, immersed in the word of God and are seeking to understand it and grow in it, God is going to find, and this is, this is my promise to you, absolute promise, if you spend your life knowing the word of God, God is going to find people to, to use that in their lives. God is going to make outlets for you. You're just like, ah, oh, you know, I've just, you know, you could be somebody, maybe you're not on a sports team and you worked really hard and you tried really hard, but you never got in the game because the coach was playing favorites and all that kind of stuff. Or at least that's what you tell yourself. Uh, but, you know, that kind of thing. So you, we have had situations in life where we've worked really hard and it doesn't seem to pay off. It doesn't seem like we've gotten to use what we have. That's not how God works with us. If you and I dedicate ourselves to God and his word, he will find outlets for us. He will bring people into our lives for this. It won't be wasted. So please, please, please dedicate yourself to him. Verses 161 and 162. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Okay, so in the midst of persecution, rejoice in God's word. In the midst of craziness around you, rejoice in God's word. And I love that imagery there in the end of verse 162 as finding hidden treasure. You know, I don't know what little boy hasn't wanted to be a pirate. You know, you start reading about pirates and like that's not something good to be. Uh, but you know, the idea as a little boy and you're, you're pretending pirates and what it would be like to find like buried treasure. You know, and, and that, the excitement of that. And so this is what the word of God is, though. As we study the word of God, then what happens, God reveals eternal, eternal valuables to us. And so it's this great treasure. It's a beautiful thing. And, and that is contagious. As you're finding treasure in God's word, and as you share that with others, then other people in your life are going to be like, hmm, well, maybe I should study too. Maybe there is something to that. I know that's what's happened to my life. I, the, I'm, I'm basically the fruit of many people who've came before me 
who, who I saw that they valued the word of God and it was important to them that changed their life. And I was like, well, maybe I should try that. And so you can be that for somebody else. Verses 163 and 164, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Okay, so again, focus on God's word and then praise him continually for his word. So don't study the word of God only to know it. That's a great start, but also praise him for it. Thank him for it. Thank him that he's, he's given you wisdom. And so remember that the more that you and I obey the word of God, the more like Christ will become. That's a wonderful thing to remember. Okay, is that, that the more that we study the word of God, the more like Christ we will become and the more useful we will be in God's hands. So awesome things. To, so, so, and I bring that up, you're like why, does that, why are you bringing that up in, in this context? Because that's something to praise God for. The more that you and I become like Christ through the study and obedience of God's word, well, that's a beautiful thing, right? It's like, man, what, who better person to be like than Christ? All right, verse 165, great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Okay, so I see two benefits here from loving the word of God. Number one is great peace. That word great, it actually means abounding. And then peace means completeness or soundness. So you're gonna have abounding completeness or abounding soundness. That that's what God's gonna bring into your life as you love the word of God. And then that's the, so interesting, that second part of verse 165 is nothing causes them to stumble. Literally, it could be translated, they have no stumbling block. Now, that, that's, that's intriguing. And, and what it caused me to think of was something that happened in the, in the gospel of Matthew. So would you turn to Matthew for just a moment? Matthew chapter 11. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 11, uh, I want to remind you that John the Baptist he was, uh, I, I like to teach him this way at school, he was the opening act for Jesus. You know, it's like when you go to a concert, you know, and they have kind of the, the lesser band before they get to the main event. John the Baptist was in a sense that, that opening band, that opening act, and then Jesus came on the scene. Well, what happened is along the way, John the Baptist was doing John the baptist things, and he was calling out people for their sin, and he was in prison for that. And, and so that caused him, to wonder, is this, is this how things are going to go? So, so, I want to, so he was actually offended. He was stumbled here. So I want you to look at Matthew 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John heard in prison, okay, so he'd been imprisoned, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And I want you to, to really feel the emphasis of this. And he said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? This is radical. I don't think we can overestimate the, just like how difficult things were for John the Baptist. The forerunner of the Messiah, prophesied by Isaiah and others, what happens is because he's imprisoned, because Jesus doesn't seem to be fulfilling the conquering king prophecies that he was hoping for, he's wondering now, did I miss? Has my whole ministry been for nothing? Are you actually the Messiah or are you not? Okay, and so I want, you to, I want you to see how Jesus answers him. 
Notice verse four. Jesus answered and said to them, so these are the disciples of John, the messengers. He says this, go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, why that's so important is verse five is actually a compilation of different prophecies of the Messiah. So here's what I want you to hear. In the midst of John the Baptist, you know, kind of like struggling, what does Jesus do? He points him back to the word. He points him back to the word of God. That he's saying, hey John, I know things are hard for you, but here's the deal. I'm fulfilling what the scripture said I would fulfill. And then he says this to him in verse six, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Who's not stumbled because of me. In other words, John, I want you to stick it out in your difficulty. I want you to stick it out in your hardship. I want you to hold on to the word of God. I want you to hold on to those things that you know in the midst of this. I understand that your specific life, John, is not turning out the way you thought it was going to. Okay? But it's turning out the way that, that, that I'm planning for you. So you hold on to the word. And I think that's exhortation for each one of us. See, John the Baptist had certain expectations of how his life would turn out, and it didn't turn out the way he thought. And all of us have been in that category to some extent. And so what God would say to us is, is, is don't be offended because of me. Well, how are we not offended? We stick to what the word says. What did the word say was gonna happen to me? Well, the word says that the Lord's gonna love me, but that I'm gonna have difficulty, that, that, that I'm not promised exemption from these things. And so when you and I can come to that place and say, well, I'm not going to be offended because of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to keep following him through this valley because I know that there's something good on the other side. Then what happens? That's a wonderful thing. That's a person who has that great peace and that nothing causes them to stumble. All right, let's turn back to 166 now. Psalms, Psalm 119 verses 166 through 168 says, Lord, I hope for your salvation and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. So again, this is obedience, right? It's surrender. It's obedience and trust. And so, um, but, but what I want you to see, as we've talked about it before, you know, the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. That's what it is. But what we see here in verses 166 through 168, it's a loving obedience, not a begrudging obedience. That's really important. Because all of us, probably, you know, as, as believers, we can just kind of like suck it up and obey. Right? We're just going to kind of do it. I'm going to do it. I, I don't want to, but I'm going to do it. But what God's actually calling us is that that next step is a loving obedience. Is like, man, life, like not, not being a liar, right? Not putting on the plastic smile that everything's going well, but saying like, yeah, life is hard right now, but you know what? God's still good, and I love him, so I'm going to obey him through this because he's going to bring something good from this, and so that's, that's where, man, if we can move from a begrudging obedience to a loving obedience, that's, that's incredible. That's a beautiful thing. That's something that God appreciates, and that does tremendous work in the lives of those around us. That's what we see from the psalmist here. All right, 169 through 172 says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let, not my, su- let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all my commandments are, uh, sorry, for all your commandments are righteous. 
So I see here, you know, there's God's side of things and our side of things. So on our side of things, we, we see things related to, to speaking, right? He's crying, he's, um, he's offering supplication, which is prayer. His lips are uttering praise, his tongue speaks. So, so what we have on our side is, man, I'm going to use my voice to cry out to the Lord, to, to praise the Lord, to pray to him, to praise him. And then on God's side, what God does is he gives understanding. He delivers. He teaches. This is vital because this is a struggle for us as believers. We're unwilling to stay in our lane. <laughs> we need to just stay on our side. Well, what can I do? Well, I can cry out. I can pray. I can praise. I, I, can, I can speak truth. That's my side. And then it's up to God to give understanding. It's up to God to deliver. It's up to God to teach. So that's all God's ever called us to do is just to stay in our lane. Right? And that's, that's really kind of the imagery of running the race. To run the race of faith, you have to stay in your lane. You have to keep on looking at Jesus. And so our focus is on God and his word. So let's do what we can do that's on our side, and let's trust him to do what he wants to do on his side. All right, 173 through 175. It says, let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. So we have here, you know, it says, you know, hey, help me, and, you know, all this, this kind of attitude of, of needing help. And we see this, right? We see this over and over again. Um, and what's going on here, it's, it's asking God to help you because you belong to him, right? That, that, he, that he owns you, that he's for you, he's chosen you, all of those things. And so it's important for us to, to trust in him, to trust that he is willing to help us because we belong to him. And, and that's really been the heart of this whole psalm. The whole psalm, it's not spoken by someone who's outside of the house. It's by spoken by someone who's inside the house. Right, spoken by someone who's a part of the household of God. Now, when I was growing up, you know, they, they had those a uh, property of T-shirts, you know, and, and maybe you know at your school, you know, you had these shirts. You think about how gross that was, right? That you would like have these shirts that generations <laughs> of students had worn those same shirts. Um, but you know, it's property of whatever high school or property of. Spiritually speaking, you have one of those, right? You're a property of God. You're owned by him. So asking him to help you because you belong to him is a wonderful thing. Finally, verse 176 says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Okay, so even for, for all the wonderful things we've seen by the psalmist, the psalmist was a person just like you and I. And so he went astray, he went in the wrong direction. So when we go astray, what, we should, what should we ask for? Let's ask God to come and get us, right? Ask God to come and get us and take us back home. And so that's the heart there at the end of this psalm is that when we go astray, let's ask for God to come and get us and take us back home. All right, so we'll stop here for today. Lord willing, move on to Psalm 120 next week. But give you a, a closing exhortation before we move into our time of communion and just a reminder that surrender and humble obedience to the word of God is what God's calling us to. So think about that. What God's basically saying is to us daily, would you, would you just surrender to me? Would you just do things my way? Because if you surrender to me, here's what's gonna happen. I can lead you, I can guide you, I can fill you with my spirit, I can do all those things. But if we don't surrender 
then what happens is we're kind of, we're stopping the work that God wants to do in our life. We're, we're, we're throttling that thing because God, the way he wants to work is he wants to work with us. He, he, he doesn't want to twist our arm and you know, get us in a chokehold. You're gonna do it now? You're gonna do it now? That's not how God works. God wants our cooperation with him. So, so simply for you and I, the exhortation is to simply do what God is asking us to do in the leading and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, realizing that that's where the abundant life is found. Let's pray.